0: What's up, everybody? It is Jeremy England. I am a music teacher at OHVA, and this is the Ohio Virtual Academy, Academy Music Appreciation Podcast, and I am joined across the internet and uh, miles and miles and miles away by <laughs> my co-host, Ms. Daphne Cech. Hello.
1: Hey, how you doing today?
0: I'm well, thank you. And yourself?
1: Good. I'm good. The sun's starting to shine here, so a little bit of an uptick in my day so far.
0: Yeah, it's going (laughs) to be one of our last few warm days, so...
1: I know, I know. The windows are all open, and uh, I'm taking Benadryl to combat the allergies because, you know, they still exist. But I'll still take it because next week looks all rainy and cruddy.
0: Yeah, it looks like fall.
1: Yeah, I like fall. Don't get me wrong. I like fall a lot, but I do... Uh, summer is usually my favorite time of year, so I'm a little bit like, ah, it's going away. You know, know. that kind of mood. <laughs>
0: I feel you. <laughs> All right. We're on episode 36, and we're talking about this guy named Joseph um, – I knew I should have practiced his name – Boulogne. Or, uh, actually, his full name is Joseph Boulogne Chevalier de Saint-Georges, which is very French. I was going
1: to say, your French sounded very good. Uh, I have been concerned about how we're going to pronounce this name because we all know that Daphne's not real great at outside languages.
0: Yeah. Well, my wife is a – she's a French connoisseur of sorts, so I asked her last night how to pronounce. Uh, Oh,
1: perfect. I I forgot the last name, Shout-outs to your wife.
0: No no kidding. (laughs) Because the last name, the Balone, is – uh, actually, from Italy, I think, and but he's French. That's where the Chevalier de Saint George comes from. Uh, sh- sh- yeah, of Saint George. So
1: <laughs> we're gonna call him Joe. Yeah, Joe, <laughs> Joe. Joe
0: for <laughs> short. <clears throat> so. Right? This is uh, a topic that's pretty cool. I think we, we have to specify a, a quick definition of classical. Usually when people talk about classical music, they mean old-sounding music, which is generally okay. There's classical music stations, and you go to the classical genre, you'll get stuff from all the different quote-unquote classical music styles, which is really like Renaissance and Baroque and Romantic and actual classical music. And But uh, today we're talking specifically about the classical music era, so.
1: Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I think that's a really good distinction. We haven't, at least this year in our podcasting, we haven't talked about this distinction a lot about not all music is quote-unquote classical, uh, and and we'll talk about that in our classes next week, actually. Uh, so it's, you know, a, a good nod and, and a good mention is um, kind of an introduction to where we're going here.
0: Yeah, and I think we have. If I find, I think we have old episodes from last season that cover specifically this genre of music or this uh, style yeah. of music. So yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure we did. I'm pre- maybe we start linking our old podcasts in the show notes now. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we I, have. We hit that point.
0: I think so. <laughs> I think oh, wow. so. So <laughs> usually, usually when we talk about the three, when we talk about the classical era, we talk about three uh the three big composers of the classical period, the the geniuses, if you will, those who like really defined the style, and that's Mozart, Haydn and Beethoven. And those are the three that like you always if you take a uh just a brief overview of music, uh that's who you'll get hit with. Um but today we're focusing on this guy, Joseph, right? So um Joey. Joey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess give us—he's an incredibly unique, incredibly unique character, not just in the world of music. And we're going to give kind of this brief biography of him, uh, and there will be some music thrown in there. But the more I learned about him, the more I was fascinated by this guy because he just was—I uh, don't know—a Renaissance man in the truest sense.
1: Yeah, and it's funny to say renaissance man in the classical era, right? Especially, you know, pun, joke. Me. Okay, never. Mind. <laughs> I know what it means. I'm just pointing out that we call it that. Moving on. Anyway, Joseph, <laughs> as you mentioned, was uh, a very unique person. And I really wasn't super familiar with him until you brought this up and uh, brought, or brought him up to me for a podcast. Um, that he's kind of goes in that category of what hasn't he done? Because he's done a little bit of everything. Now, of course, being that we're, you know, a music podcast, we're going to talk about a lot of his musical accomplishments, but very unique guy, a violinist. So that's, you know, where we're going to talk about him. He was a fencer, not like the kind that, you know, put fences up, like with the sword, right? Yep. Excuse me. Um, so he was a world-renowned fencer and was trained a composer. Uh, he was a military man, so he, he actually led troops for a while uh, he he was a black person, so, you know, at this time in history, there wasn't a lot of black musicians or black uh, composers, for that matter. So, you know, that already makes him stand out. So he was just really unique and very special.
0: Yeah, and I do want to say, uh, so the classical music era, I forget if we said the exact dates, but it's 1715 to 1820. So if you're a history person you'll understand that um why being uh, a black composer that's educated and well versed in like the nobility is important because uh this is when the USA is seeking independence from Britain the slave trade is very real and happening uh between the africa the indies and america uh, and the French Revolution is just getting ready to kick off, which is all about like equality and independence and stuff as well. So there's this huge shift going on in the world, and then you have this 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 crazy guy. And uh, so we're going to quote a lot from this um, this website today. is called the Artaria Editions, and the website I have it linked. His article below is a uh, it is a website dedicated to. Uh, sorry, it's in a music publishing house with a special interest in rare 18th century repertoire. All right. So this is all about like the not big three, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) Right. um,
1: Did you, did you know about this website prior to? I uh, didn't. It's a, okay.
0: A wealth of information.
1: Yeah. I feel like you could go down a lot of rabbit holes with this website.
0: Yeah. And the cool thing I learned about this guy, about Joseph is that he was, um, He predated Haydn, and so that's why, like, this 18th century rare stuff is, like, the classical period really kicks off and is defined by symphonies and, uh, like, uh, quartets and quintets and, like, these. And that's all Haydn, really, you know? Like, he is the father. Papa Haydn, they call him. uh, But he predates them, and he actually premieres some of his work, which is pretty cool.
1: That's really cool.
0: Yeah, they say that uh, Joseph Boulogne Chevalier de Saint George—I'm gonna keep saying it because it sounds fun to say. I'm sure I'm butchering it, but was widely respected. Re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was widely regarded as the most accomplished man of his age. Wow. Now, when you think about that, and like all the intellectuals and stuff that were running around Europe, I mean, it's kind of a, a cool. Uh, this website holds him in very high regard. That's so, really
1: fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think the reason we're going to focus on him and not Mozart, because you can do all that stuff, there's a a lot of resurgence in uh, understanding diversity in music education, and we've talked about that before on this podcast, Uh, and he's like, this is going to sound probably like degrading of his musical skills but he was a very talented composer but he wasn't life-changing in the like in the sense that he established the the voice and structure of a period like Haydn did or he wasn't um like musically a pro- uh, prodigy like Mozart but he was very talented it's like saying it's like saying like uh if you play in the NBA like you're not, you know, LeBron James is the best and Michael Jordan is the best. Uh, like. But you're just some dumb person that's like one of the starting five on his team. You're obviously very yeah. good, <laughs> right? But right, you're not like sure. superstar status. Uh, but the large reason we're going to talk about him and to bring him to light is he's the first classical composer of African descent, which is, I don't know, I think it's super cool. And uh, I did not learn about him that I can recall uh, in college, in any of my music history classes, or if it was, it was just a brief passing by of him. Um, and I had one more thought, and I lost it. It was right there, but...
1: <laughs> well, I'll I'll piggyback a little bit on, on this for just a second while you think. I was um, reflecting on the fact that he's the first classical composer of African descent. So much of when you study music history is a bunch of European people mm-hmm. and um, they don't look like an, a person of African descent and so it's uh, very nice to see somebody of a different descent that is noteworthy in these um, in the in the classical period or, or any type of music history when you're studying uh, Western music history it's all european right so it's (laughs) it's nice to it's nice to see some diversity in a time where we don't necessarily think that that's possible
0: yeah and that's that's well said i think the other thing that you brought up that i think i was going to say was that he's often called the black mozart and uh it's an interesting thing to uh to compare him to bring him into our world almost you know like uh, and we are both trained. You and I, I would say we're trained in the history of European music. That's just our upbringing. That's how we studied in college. Um, so to give him validity by calling him the Black Mozart diminishes how like all the other cool stuff that he did. So, you know, why not? Let's give him a whole episode because I think it's cool to talk about him.
1: Yeah, so. he gets his own name. Yeah, You know exactly. what I mean? Like, yeah. why is it Mozart the white? joseph <laughs> that's right <laughs> you know what i mean yeah we, it can be you know so he say you know respect the name puts put some respect on that name that's right as the, as <laughs>
0: the kids say say it with your chest i think that's what <laughs> that's the... <laughs> right
1: that's right say so, it with your chest i like that so uh
0: <laughs> his parents are george uh, Balone de saint george and a slave woman name uh well actually we don't know much about her name uh or about who she was uh they give her the name Nanan. Nanan. I'm not sure how to say it, actually. Uh, but she was um, on the plantation, they suspect, where they were at. Because they weren't in France before. They were in, like, the Bahamas area, St. George, you know, like one of the Caribbean right. islands. Right. And uh, he was – the one article says that she was the slave of his wife. So George, Joseph's father, his wife had a slave, and that's – how they met, uh, another one, the other article says that she was just on the plantation, uh, either way, uh, we do know that George really cared about her, um, for George is, George was a character, I mean, he was put in prison for a long, he was in exile for a long time, and, uh, that's when I think Joseph was born, but when he came back to France after being in exile, he brought back uh, Joseph, his son, and Joseph's mom, Nanan. That's how I'm going to say it. But, uh, you know, which just shows that's he didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to uh, bring either one of them back. But the fact that he brought both of them back uh, was a huge testament to George's character uh, and just how much we can assume that he cared about Joseph and his mother.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say that. The fact that he brought his family back with him, you don't do that with people you don't love or care about. Right. So Especially th- his you nobility. You can infer that. Right. Especially Oh, his, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we we know that, you know, Joseph's life started with a very high quality of education and it made possible by his dad. You could say this about so many things in history, but education's the silver bullet, right? So you know the fact that he gets a, a quality education so young in his life really sets him on the right track. And and the dad had money, you know, so he was able to get it for him. And it's what's especially again very interesting here is that he gets this education despite being black.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's a interesting. We thank George. Uh, And the quote here, it says, of one thing we can be certain, if George had not shown a genuine interest in his son's welfare, then the name Joseph Bologne de saint George would not or would be unknown today. And it just goes to show, uh, you know, if you can use your influence to raise other people up, uh, you know, you open the doors for people. Uh, So Joseph, you know, he was a quick learner. He he had like a ferocious thirst for knowledge uh and all pretty much everybody who taught him commented on this all the quotes and pulls from the books we that were quoted in the articles we read said as much and his father hired private tutors for him to help him get along. When he was 13, he was uh, boarded, which means he was sent to live with this renowned swordsman. Uh, they're suspecting because he was going to be a military man, and uh, so he goes to get sent with this famous guy who can wield a sword and. Says that at the age of 15, he had such rapid progress that he could beat the strongest fencers. By 17, he had developed superlative speed. The acquisition of experience set him beyond compare. And that is... The son of the sword master who basically grew up with him, basically saying at 15 he was one of the best in the world, and by 17 he was amazing. And I'm gonna put this later in the show notes, but it's kind of cool. He, when he was kind of down on his luck composing wise, uh, like there's one point in his life he had to go back to England or go to England for a time, and he got by and made money by giving fencing exhibitions. <laughs> so, oh wow, I mean, he just That's was
1: amazing.
0: was that good. Uh
1: So is so what I as we read through the show notes and as you were talking to us, think of this, you ever hear the um phrase Jack of all trades? Yes. Now it's usually finished by master of none. Yes. But I don't know if that necessarily applies to Joseph here because he's kind of had the Midas touch on almost everything he did.
0: Yeah. I mean he just was Good. Uh, he goes to learn to ride horses, too. And the trainer at the school said he was one of the best pupils and pretty much did everything well. Like he said, he even skate well and swim well, and like swam well. <laughs> so you're right, like the jack of all trades and like the master of all. He's a, such a unique person. And there's not very many people that are this talented. You know, we talk about Mozart and Haydn in music specifically because they're so influential in music, right? They just... They have these musical minds that are beyond compare and at this time period. And here is this guy who's just he's good at everything. And it's just So
1: so like if he was alive today, we'd all be very jealous of him. He'd be one of those people we'd envy. I feel like I would because I'm always like (laughs) Yeah. Oh I'm trying to think yes.
0: of like I'm trying to think of people who are good at everything they touch. You know, like Terry Crews plays the flute. He played football. Uh, he's an amazing actor. Uh, he's influential in social causes. Or like a triple threat athlete would be like uh, Bo Jackson back in the day. Oh,
1: I loved you know? Bo Jackson um, when I was a kid. I'm I guess I'm I'm maybe this is because I saw her on the Today Show this morning. I was thinking about Jennifer Lopez. There she you sings, go. She sings. She acts. She's you know an activist. She's into all kinds of things. Every time you look, she's doing something else. So I feel like she might be in that category as well.
0: I might get some shade. I don't think she's that great of an actress, but that's all right. Ooh. Don't don't at me, Jennifer.
1: Yeah, we m- nothing but respect for you, Jennifer Lopez. Nothing but respect. <laughs>
0: uh, so, so musical skill. We don't. It's so fascinating with. uh like this history. We know so much about certain people because there's like journals kept about them and like you can just trace your history back and we don't really know when Joseph started taking lessons on the violin. We don't really know much about his early musical training at all, to be honest. Uh, This big biography written about this article was said that, they believe that he began to take lessons at a very young age on the plantation. And when he got to France, he was able to pick up lessons with some pretty influential people. But like, we don't get much information about that. We learn more about his fencing and more about his right. uh, like horseback riding than we do about this musical training in these very early times of his life. He really breaks out here in 1769, which is... Uh, I mean, he's in his 20s, very young 20s. He joined the Concert de Amateurs, uh, Concert of Amateurs, basically. It's a, the best the best of the amateurs in the world. Uh, and they did like a 12-week series every year. And uh, he joined as the first violinist. So he didn't like come and work his way up with all these other people. He joined and sat in the first violin position which is like the leader of the orchestra absent the conductor right it's the the what's the name the concert it's not the concert master it's the concert master um
1: you mean like when they just like that they're sitting first chair in tune and all that fun stuff yeah that's like a spec- yeah.
0: the concert master yeah.
1: mm-hmm. that's yeah. what we refer to it as that's it then yeah
0: that's probably it i haven't been around an orchestra in a long time <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm pretty versed in that world. At least these days, I am anyway. <laughs>
0: right. So it's an important position. You know, he just joins it like early 20s as the as the first violinist of, and, and the way they debuted this orchestra and who knows how much his marketing speak or whatever, but it's come see the best amateurs in the country. You know, for 12 weeks. It's, so it's, this is the best of the best in in France, which is a very musical country, and the you know, that whole area, Europe, was a very musical area. So he was well, no slub. Schlub? You
1: know, if, no. No schlub. schlub. We're, we're going to go with that. Let's go with that. I think that works.
0: <laughs> so just a, a couple years after he came on as the first violinist, he debuts with some concertos as a soloist. And then a year after that, he takes the orchestra over and... During this time, he's very successful uh, as the leader of the orchestra and to the point where the famous orchestra of the time was not debuting Haydn's symphonies. uh, This group of amateurs or whatever under Joseph's tenure and leadership was debuting Haydn's symphonies to the world, which is a huge honor. It's like, here's this amazing composer. You get to debut his stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, all was going very well for him in the musical world.
1: Right. And, you know, but no composer and no person in the musical world rarely has a life that that doesn't have some controversy. I mean, let's, let's be honest. So he's no different. Uh, he has a little bit of controversy. And I don't know if I've ever heard of the word that I'm going to say in a minute. Maybe I'm a, a, a little little naive. but So let me start here he became really well known as a musical leader. So it felt like he was going to take over the Royal Academy of music at the opera. But, uh, some of the female vocalists wrote a letter to the queen saying, Joseph is skilled. And and, and this is paraphrasing. I should have said that Joseph is skilled in all areas of life, but doesn't, but don't subject us to the orders of a mulatto. And is that how you pronounce that? Okay. And so that being an offensive term, term uh and it's referring to somebody of mixed racial heritage so um this was certainly not a good thing to use and uh at this point joseph withdraws his name from consideration he's like oh, okay fine whatever uh king takes back control of the academy and the queen decides to have a more intimate have more intimate musical performances so you know just a little little smaller a little closer um, but we think they included joseph right
0: yeah, we're pretty sure that uh, Marie Antoinette, I'm pretty sure was the Queen then, uh, invited him over to perform. In fact, the one article says that uh, he probably played the violin and she played the piano. So uh, it stinks, you know, Like, and it's part of what spurs the next part of his life when it comes to war about this equality. And it just goes to show that no matter how much education you have, no matter... Uh, who your father is or anything like that but the color of your skin can still uh, hold you back because if you type in that word i never heard of that word uh or i guess i never really knew much about it before i looked it up that word uh mulatto it's a the dictionary says outdated offensive word and it really was just uh like i don't know to give it like um a fictional word is like saying "mud blood," essentially, you know, like from Harry Potter. Uh, gotcha. So it just uh-huh. was like it was not a good word, and it, it's
1: it's not a term that someone would use in civilized conversation, as correct. Hermione points yes. out.
0: <laughs> yes, and please, yeah, don't don't say you learned it here and you know use it because <laughs> uh, that that was a direct. A lot of that was paraphrasing, but that last line uh, was right from their letter, and the story goes. Right, like you had said, that he, to save the embarrassment for the royalty, withdrew his name. Uh, and so then after that, he goes on to write two operas. And I think it's cool. It says, you, you had mentioned uh, the king took back control of the academy. Basically, this academy was gifted to the city of Paris to run. And then, so instead of putting a new person in, because he was the next person. I mean, he was the most qualified, the best person. They just... They just took back control of it. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> uh so then so then the then the revolution breaks out. Viva la revolution, you know. Viva like,
1: la revolution You said it the, just as I was saying it.
0: The war breaks out and yeah, Joseph looks around and he realizes here, again, even though he has this privilege, even though he has like we said earlier, the education and the money, uh he was not equal. He it, at that time he wasn't even, like, allowed to marry certain people. You know, like, it was just he was not equal to his white counterparts. And I think if you, as you read the story, and, you know, it's not to get too social justice here or whatever, but this is a perfect example of white privilege. Here's a man that has everything that people around him have, and sometimes more, and he's better the, at a lot of things than most people, you know he's this most fascinating man, the most interesting man of the <laughs> of the world right there at that time, and he was still not equal and so he looks around and he sees this, so he joins the revolution and the way that like European armies and stuff work, and his father and or his grandfather were all military men, uh, he was given command of this thousand Troop people eight hundred uh eight hundred foot soldiers two hundred horseback. Remember, he was a skilled swordsman, which is a, a nobility thing, and a skilled horseback rider. And it was an all black group, and it was it was some crazy long name. I forget what it was called, but basically, it gets renamed to the Legion of Saint George. So, this is his this is his troop, and um, for. The the article glosses over it, and again, I don't know much about his military history, but it says to the chaos, like he wasn't very successful. <laughs> he was His group was not very successful in terms of battles, and I don't know why that is or whatever. But basically, if you didn't win, uh, you could just get detractors and people who don't like you, and they called him uh, – they put him in jail for uh, quote-unquote unrevolutionary behavior, uh, whatever that means, not winning, I guess. Um,
1: that 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 concept is super crazy to me that okay well you lost a battle so go to jail (laughs) right just just think about that for a minute i just i just think that's super bizarre also i i i'd love to know more about why they were unsuccessful or what was a contributing factor because this does make me feel like we found his achilles heel a little bit yeah like he wasn't and he wasn't the most perfect human either like maybe his he might have been great at all these other things but maybe he just wasn't the best commander. Yeah. I think Maybe the article says it.
0: like unfortunate circumstances.
1: Uh, a could, series of unfortunate yeah, events, yeah, right. something like
0: that. It could have been like a, you know, any number of things. It, it was, it was an all black group, you know, and we talk about just this equality thing. And um, who knows? Either ways, 18 months in jail, which is crazy. And he gets out.
1: And, Absolutely absurd.
0: Yeah. He gets out. He tries to rejoin the army in a different area. Uh, and they refused him. And so what's he do? He has to, like, try and make music. And and in the meantime, all this other stuff has happened. He's lost everything uh, for different reasons. And so goes to war, comes back, is jailed, tries to go back to war. They say no, so he picks up music again because that's just – if you have the talent, you know why not. Um, And – he holds this musicals post of this new and upcoming orchestra in the residence of an old employer, right? They're, they're still part of the patronage system, which is royalty or nobility pays for your, you know, their patronage of your work. And uh, he takes it up, but then he dies shortly after that uh, from a diseased bladder in 1799. And the the article says he his the last decade of his life was consumed by... Um, was consumed by the revolution. And I think what's what's fascinating about him is that, like, in our world of music, he's very good because he was a, such a talented musician and a leader. Uh, but, like, a whole decade of his life was just taken up by war. <laughs> so, yeah. And, like, he could have been good at anything. And um, he just happened to be a super good musician. And some of that is just... He finds himself in that right spot, but he could have walked away at any time and just been like a world renowned swordsman or something. Um and I think that can oh, go ahead. I
1: think no, I was gonna say I think that's that is kind of a testament to his passion for music too. You know, he, he again, he's a jack of all traits. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he music seemed to be the thing that he gravitated toward the most in his life.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it's the, uh, the opposite, actually. I think it's like, oh, it's, really? <laughs> it's fascinating that it can be like a fallback option that he can just have this job because he's really, really good at it. Yeah. Um. So he had options. You know, where like yeah. Mozart and Beethoven and Haydn, they were all like musicians. Like that was just right. that's that was all their they gig. knew. They lived Literally, and breathed music. Mm-hmm. And uh, this man had time for other things. <laughs>
1: So. which and you're not wrong I, I that's just I think it's just interesting and and I think too I would have loved to have seen what he would have done instead of war like if he if he wasn't out fighting a war what music would have happened what music what he would he have produced I, I would have been curious to see what he would have done in that time period of his life too because we also see musicians work change over time and where they are at different points of their life and I During that wartime or the 18 months he was in jail, like we don't know really what creatively he output, what he would have had. Right. Just a thought.
0: So they sum it up here. This Ataria Editions website sums it up and they say there were certainly greater composers than St. George during the late 18th century, but none who possessed anywhere near his remarkable range of talents. His exotic persona and fascinating personality. He was a man. <laughs> I just love that last
1: he, he was, was a man. A man. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think I because well, I think it's so important to put that because here's this guy. We talk a lot about uh in our society about what manhood is and I call this idea like toxic masculinity. But here's this man who is like super well rounded in all areas of life. And like he didn't I mean I don't know it doesn't I don't get the sense from reading this stuff that he was like very cocky about it or he was I mean he had a conviction he had talents he used them for what he thought was best in the world and he did it with relative like um honor and integrity and I think that's that's super cool you know he was he was a man or he was just a good person
1: <laughs> Right it's very funny to hear this lovely quote uh and d- discussing his personality and then just he was a man yeah, because, because it's still like sim- it's still simplistic and i, right. I appreciate that though <laughs> but it's just he was a man uh, okay i guess we're done now like yeah. that's it. <laughs> it's just period
0: <laughs> oh man so i don't know how long this episode ended up being but i hope you got something out of it because this guy was just he's fascinating to me and um A whole new world, like I said at the beginning, just opened up. And this is just brief snippets of his life that we can get in 40 minutes or whatever this is. And that's just like his highlights. That's not all the controversies he faced. That's not, you know, like any of that stuff. He kind of, when he died, he like kind of went into obscurity for a while. And nobody really, you know, his father had a legitimate daughter, uh, two legitimate kids, I believe. And he just kind of was this footnote for a long time. And think. You know, thank people like Arturia Editions and other scholars who are bringing these people to the light for us, so we can learn more about this rich tapestry of other artists that help contribute to the field. And because it's not always about the prodigies, I guess it's what it's not always about the prodigies like Haydn and Mozart and Beethoven. Sometimes it's just about the very talented people that are very good at their craft that carry carry the day-to-day work forward. <laughs> you know, oh, so. you
1: said that so well. I I was going to comment about how, you know, it it's I found this particular episode really cool cuz I I didn't really know that much about him prior to this. I, and you know, even as somebody who's, you know, we're trained people, so, you know, quote unquote trained people in music. So it's, you know, even us learning stuff is cool And there's so many people who contributed to our musical past. And they don't get enough credit. So, you know, it's it's really great to dive into some of this stuff and to dive into these people's lives and find out more about them.
0: Yeah. So if you like this episode, uh, you know, make sure you rate us on iTunes or Overcast or whatever, give us the stars and, and interact with us. We're on Twitter at OHVA Music and let us know if there's any other composers you think that are underrepresented or just have fascinating lives, especially if they are outside the realm of the ones that you automatically know. Uh and it's taught everywhere in every school all the time. It's cool. We like to take deep dives like Daphne just said. We learn stuff always. And that's super cool. In the show notes, I have uh, the two articles. One's the Wikipedia entry, which is a long read by itself. And then I also have the Artaria Editions biography, which just goes into more depth and it's fascinating. And then I have uh, a small sample of his work. It's the uh, symphony, num- symphony, Opus 11, Number One in D Major. It's just the overture, it's about four minutes long. and uh, I started listening to it before we recorded this, and it's just its beautiful. It's a wonderful piece of music. So he has the chops, too. So let us know if you listen to that. If there's anything else we should cover on Twitter, in the show notes, there will be an option to submit show ideas. You can find our information if you're a student in our classes. Uh, you can also tweet at me, get with me on Twitter at Jeremy P. England. And then OHVAMusic.com will take you to our anchor page, which will allow you to comment, leave comments via voice or text or whatever, and just uh, interact with us and let us know if you like this or not.
1: Right on. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs>
0: all right. Until next time. See you all later.
1: Bye.